So we're going to jump into this, and uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to skip around a little bit. We'll start in Matthew chapter 28 if you want to be there. All the scriptures will be on the screen for you, and I want to tell you this morning in your sermon notes a couple things that I, I won't have time to go through the whole uh, passages, so I encourage you to go home and, and work through those on your own, maybe in devotion time this week. Um, if you got in here and you didn't get sermon notes, uh, if, you, if you want those and you're willing to slip up your hand, uh, Pastor Anson would be happy to get some to you. Um, and that would uh, that'd be great, and you could follow along this morning. So we're talking about this relationship, the church and the people of the church, and kind of how does this work? Now, here's the relationship in most of our world. In most of our world, even if you have deep friendships and great community, usually at the core, the foundation of it has to do with somebody offering you a service or a product, and you paying for that service or a product, and this type of relationship or these connections open up. So if you're a part of a, a club somewhere, or if you're on a sports team, if you go to a gym, if you go to a place like that, uh, you'll know that even though there might be rich and deep community, at the core, uh, it is about a, a product or a service being offered. And then there's the church. We look at the church, and uh, that doesn't really exist in the church world. This relationship in this community between what we call the church as a whole, Windover Hills Church, and the members of Windover Hills Church, you and I. And how does this all kind of connect? Well, there's actually this rich community and this rich fellowship that happens. And I want to break it down this morning and walk through it. And I want to do it, if I could, in two questions. The first question you'll see in your notes is, what should you and I expect from the Windover Hills Church community? And then uh, as we go on later, I want to ask the question, what should the Windover Hills community expect of you and me. You see, uh, there is definitely uh, something and a role to play for both sides and for both parts. Yet at the same, you'll know that the Windover Hills Church community is you and I. And yet you and I make up the Windover Hills community. So there's rich overlap in this this morning. I want to walk through and just explain uh, what we're talking about and what we're looking at uh, this morning. So let's just ask this first question. What should you and I expect from a Windover Hills church community? Can you think back of the first time you remember being in a church community? Like for some of you, you were born into it. Like you can't ever not remember being in church. For me, I moved from Orange County out in California, the OC, the Nobody ever called it that till the show came out. So we moved out to the desert and my parents bought a house and we knew no one. And so my parents, not leaving it up to us to get out and to meet people, decided they would drop us off at some organization. And we had been a part of Boy Scouts. No troop existed in this small desert town. So guess what? They dropped us off at the local youth group that had an article in the Butterfield Express, which was the newspaper, that there was a new youth pastor starting that night. And my parents dropped me off first night, my brother, my older brother, and myself, And, you know, that's the first time I can remember ever really being a part of a church community. Now, I had been to church before. We had gone uh, several times when I was younger. But that's the first time, like, I knew somebody at church. Like, Like, I actually knew the name of other people, and I talked to them. That was the first time I remember that kind of interaction. In fact, the very first day my parents dropped me off, we were going to one of these amusement parks, and we were getting on a bus. And I was going up, the, up and down the, the row looking for who I might sit with. I knew no one, so it felt a little bit like, uh, you know, Forrest Gump walking up and down the bus. Um, and there was a guy named Mark, open seat. And I sat down. 
And guess what? It was his first day as well in the youth group, and it was his birthday. How about that for a first day and your birthday? And Mark and I became very, very good friends for about six years. That youth pastor who's also named Mark Wilson, I have not seen my youth pastor, Mark Wilson, since I was 18 years old. Because my last night of youth group before going to college was his last night before he took a senior pastor position in Wisconsin. And you know what? This afternoon, that's going to change. He's in Roanoke, and he just moved to South Carolina. And if you know the map, he's going to come through this way this afternoon, and we're going to see each other for the first time since I was 18, for the first time in like eight years. Um, I'm going to see him this afternoon. There was no joke there. Oh, um... What's the first time you were in a church community? For some of you, like, this was it. Being in this Wendover Hills community and coming and being a part of this is the first time you can ever really remember being part of community. You might have gone to a church before, midnight mass, something like that, but you're starting to experience community. So what should you and I expect from a community, from a church community? Now, if you go to different churches, every church is a little bit different stylistically for sure. Every church emphasizes a little bit different things. We focus on the same Word of God, but we all function a little bit different. And so what should you and I expect from this church? Here's one thing uh, that we want to start off here, and I have uh, really three things in this. I call them three amigos in this first section. All right, that's a bad tie-in. First one is this. Reach those far from God. That's one of the key things we want to do is connect with people who are far from God. It's so important. You see, uh, for many people that you might interact with in life every day, work and hobbies and family, uh, you know people that are far from God. They don't know God. And here's what I used to think. Um, I used to be very, very cut and dry, black and white. This is what I thought. Either people knew Jesus Christ right? And life was like glorious and phenomenal, you know, and the halos spun all the time and, you know, harps played. Or they were over here and they were terrible heathens and life was terrible for them. And they were just hoping to get out of this life. But as I got older, actually being far more uh, mature, I I, I think, uh, I've learned that that's not always the case. In fact, I've, I've met many people who would claim to know Jesus Christ, who would talk about a testimony time where they said, yeah, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. And yet today, like they're living like a, a, a miserable life that's like in bondage, you know. And, and I'm thinking, how does that happen if you know Jesus Christ? And yet I've met people who don't know Jesus Christ. They, they don't have any interest in that. And they seemingly, things are going very well in their life. And there's joy and there's happiness in their life. And I had to ask, well, what's at play there, God? What's really going on here? But this is the conclusion I've come to as I've, as I've spent time in God's Word, as I've uh, grown in my own walk with Christ, and as I've interacted with so many people who have become Christians and the Lord has transformed. I, like, I honestly believe that God has so much richer, deeper, more meaningful life when we come to know God. And when we live with Him as the Lord of our life and follow that way, I'm just convinced of that. In fact, I'm convinced that there's many, many people who have a Christian testimony, who claim Christianity, what they've forgotten or what they've lost over the time is that close connection and intimacy with God. 
And they might get to a Bible study or they might, you know, uh, get to church, pretty good regular attendance. But they've lost that daily connection with God, that interaction. Can you think back to when you were dating who would become your spouse? I mean, can you think back to the interaction you guys had? You couldn't wait to have a conversation, right? I mean, you couldn't wait to get off work and to interact and to go to a movie or to go to dinner or whatever you were to do. Like, sometimes people who claim Jesus Christ have lost that intimacy. They've lost that connection. And they've forgotten that in order to build any relationship, in order to be close to anyone, proximity and conversation are of, of deepest significance. And so maybe that's you today. And I would say, you know what you can expect of a Wendover Hills community? We want to drive you to be close to God. We want to drive you to have a rich, deep connection with God. And though coming to church is important, going to a Bible study, those things are important. Of the greatest importance is your rich, deep connection with God. Because I would say if you're a Christian and you're missing that, you're really missing what God has to offer someone. And then, of course, on the other side, there's, there's some folks that are far from God. They, they've had no interest in God. And I remember walking around uh, Magic Mountain, not Magic Mountain, Disneyland, excuse me, when I was really young. First time my parents took me, we had moved to California when I was seven, and I wanted to ride Magic Mountain. Now, that was what I wanted to get on. And uh, Space Mountain, excuse me. Why do I keep saying Magic Mountain? It's a whole different park. Space Mountain, all right? Um, I wanted to ride Space Mountain. That's what we were heading for. And I was looking, and you could see Space Mountain in the middle of the park, you know, this big, uh, this big building, pointy building. And and so as we were moving around, we started to move away from that. And of course, in my uh, seven-year-old uh, maturity level, I, I decided that screaming and hollering and whining and yelling about it was the way to work. Um, and uh, I was hollering about wanting to get to Space Mountain, Space Mountain. I want to go to Space Mountain, you know, that kind of thing. And then finally, you know, my dad kind of looked at me and said, what are you whining about? And I'm still pointing and crying. He said, that's the Matterhorn. <laughs> We're turning this way to go to Ma- Space Mountain. <laughs> you know, what's the point? Is like, I didn't even know what I was really looking at. You see, sometimes I think people reject God or don't have an interest in God or an interest in church or the church community or in Jesus Christ, but they don't really know what they're missing. I mean, they don't really know what's there. Sadly, sometimes people have had interactions with maybe some people in church or they've had interaction with, with some, I, I guess I call them like a religious fanaticist, and they've confused religion with Jesus Christ, and they walk away from both. And I look and I think, the people I come in contact with, I hope the people you come in contact with, I just honestly believe in the depths that their life would be so much richer, and so much deeper if they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I want them to know Jesus Christ. I don't want them to know a rigid set of do's and don'ts, though we know God's word teaches us a new lifestyle, tells us, hey, do this, don't do that. We know that it's in there. But I want them to know Jesus and understand him. And I'm convinced it'll be rich and deep from that point. So here's the key word under this point. It's the word invite. And not just simply invite to church, though, I mean, I love inviting people to church. But it's inviting people into a life of Jesus Christ. You know, for sometimes you're in a conversation with somebody and you know that door is wide open and you're just like, can I just, can I just ask you, have you ever considered, you know, like, like surrendering your life to Jesus and, and following Jesus? But sometimes you're in conversations where you're not even close to asking that question. 
And you may just simply want to say, hey, I just want you to know, if you ever need anyone, if you ever need to talk about that, um, I'm here. Just give me a call. You know what you're doing in both situations? You are inviting somebody to know about Jesus. On, On whatever level you're at with that person at this point, you're inviting them to know Jesus. Here's what the Word of God says, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I love this because it's this full theology we find in God's Word in just a few passages. God is saying, hey, go out and make disciples. Like, go out and tell people about me. I mean, he's saying, go out and help people transition their life to being a follower of Jesus Christ. Go do that. I mean, it's clear, Jesus speaking here, that he wants this to be one of our missions. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We did that last week. Remember, we talked about it's a turning point. It's surrendering the old and coming up new and renewed and fresh. Do that, he says. Then teach them everything that I've commanded. Meaning, let's disciple now. Let's talk about what's in God's Word. Do you know this past week, um, I sent those baptized an email, and it was titled this. It said, congrats on your baptism. Now what? Question mark. And it was explaining, here's where we go now. Here's what God's Word has to say for us. Let's be discipled and grow. And here's the awesome thing. At the end, Jesus says, look, in all this, I'm with you always. I'm going to go with you. I'm part of this journey. I'm part of this purpose and this mission right along with you. So invite others. Here's three quick things. You could write them down. They're not in your notes. Uh, One, invite people into your life. Open up relationships. Now, we are not very good at the attractional model at our church. And we do some fun things, and we have some great music, and and, uh, and sometimes we're silly. We want you to laugh. We've got some stuff on the screen. But as far as sitting down in staff meeting and board meeting and thinking about everything from an attractional standpoint, just like what can we do up here to attract more people to be in the seats here? Like that's not really the core of who we are. But building relationships, inviting people into our lives, inviting you to open up a relationship with someone else who needs to have a good Christian connection, that's who we are. That's our DNA. That's what we're about, inviting people into our lives. Second one is inviting people with sacrifice. This is kind of a hard one, but can I tell you that uh, you're a pretty generous church when it comes to needs. Last week, uh, we had a need. I sent an email out a week and a half ago. And uh, that's six and a half years running where any time I've ever sent out an email with a need and it's not been met fully, uh, you've done that. Very generous in that. I would love to tell you that all of those of you who like sacrifice finances or resources or your time or, you know, your housing or things like that over the last six and a half years since I've been here, like that is just in every situation. Somebody has just surrendered their life to Jesus richly and they're like they're here sitting and worshiping every Sunday. That's just not the case. Sometimes it makes no impact and dent in their life whatsoever. Should we still do it? Absolutely. Because God's word says... You need to invite and open up connections, and many times you do it through your sacrifice. What you're willing to offer, what you're willing to give and do for someone else. And finally, we invite with our words. Like sometimes there gets to be the point where you need to actually use your words. Well, Tom, can I minister with my life? Absolutely. But the gospel is always transferred with words. 
And so at some point we say, hey, would you like to join me at church? Or, hey, would you like to, to talk more about that? Uh, hey, can I tell you a little bit of how Jesus helped me out in my life? Hey, here's the second thing this morning. What can you expect from the Wendover Hills community? And that's to teach the full truth of God's word. The full truth. And do you understand what that means? That when we look at God's word, when we look, and we look at God's word and we say, like, this is our teaching manual. This is our guide. This is what we're about. And so we're going to teach from here. Like, I may offer you, like, hey, here's what I've learned when I've put this into play in my life. And here's a little story. But nothing trumps what God's word has to say to us. And sometimes that is a glorious word that makes me smile and, and be excited. And I want to share it with you because it, it's words about peace and hope and joy in our life. But then there's other words in there that are, that are challenges. They're strong. In fact, there's sometimes I would say, like, if I had my white out and I was allowed my way, I'd just white those out and say we don't have to follow those. And sadly, there's even, even religious and even Christian organizations that have gone that route. And we're saying we're bound to the Word of God. The key word there is build up. Because what we believe in God's Word is that God's Word builds us up. It makes us stronger in our faith when we know God's Word, when we're in God's Word. It's why we say so often, and we almost plead and beg of you to get in God's Word on your own. Now, I went to seminary. I've got a seminary degree. I took some Greek. I took some Hebrew. I know some of the original language stuff. I've been looking at this for the last 20 plus years of ministry. And despite that, I can't give you all you need to know in 35 minutes on Sunday morning. It's just impossible. It's impossible. And you know what? God never designed it that way. He said, here's the Word of God. In fact, one of the greatest things about church history post-Jesus to now— some of the greatest stories is about the people who translated the Bible into their own native language so that people could hear. There's actually times where it was, like it was so forbidden that they actually put people to death for doing that because they thought it, it, it had to be in the original language or at least at some point it had to be in Latin. couldn't be translated out of it. We're so glad now that you can open up God's Word in English and you can read it. And some of you are like, um, I read it, but Tom, I still don't quite understand it. You know, there's probably a translation that you would because they've made translations into like common tongue, like 2000s language, how we talk now. This is what we're about. Here's what the Word of God says, 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 5. Preach the Word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look to, for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. That's a clever line. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carrying out the ministry God has given you. Notice how the verse is warning us. If we start to stray a little from this word, we'll stray all the way because it's a strong, powerful word. And so you can expect that your staff, your pastor, your staff, your board, your leadership here is going to be committed to the full truth of God's word. Now, here's the danger. 
when we hear that often, many people believe, and, and even some Christians believe, that this is primarily means we need to weekly preach on what the do's and don'ts of Christianity. You can do this, you can't do that. Like, that should be the content. Or rebuking the don'ts uh, in our culture especially. And you can look back on our, our sermons. They're all online the last six and a half years, even before that when Pastor Floyd was here and he was preaching. And you'll see there's plenty of sermons that cover many of our present-day uh, topics and conversations and share a biblical perspective of that. But this morning, what I'm saying is the Word of God is not just there to teach you your do's and don'ts. The Word of God is to release you and give you joy and freedom in this life. It's to teach you about a Jesus Christ who, who gives you salvation, and He paves the way for purpose and meaning of your life. Someone who actually spoke in our church once said this, the Word of God is the will of God in your life. That's a strong, strong word there. The Word of God is the will of God. Here's the third thing in this section for this question. Uh, Serve those in need. What should you expect? Serve those in need. That's a key that we serve. The key word there is go. And there's this moment in Scripture where, where uh, Paul is actually summoned back to Jerusalem, and they have this thing called the Jerusalem Council. And here's the key thing that's going on at the Jerusalem Council, is those who were in leadership in Jerusalem had sent out those missionaries. We, we know mainly of Paul because most of the New Testament is written about him. And their job was to preach to Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And we find that everywhere they went, non-Jewish people gave their life to Jesus Christ, became Christians. Not having a Jewish background and growing up as Jewish people and knowing the Old Testament, the question started to arise, well, how much should be required about old Jewish law? How much should be required on these new Gentile converts? Like, should we make them follow the law just like uh, it's written? And even the Jews were wrestling with this. Now, with Jesus Christ coming and with us having salvation, like how much of this law do we still follow? And so there's this council at Jerusalem where they discussed all these things. Now, you're welcome to read it. It's found in Galatians chapter 2. It corresponds Acts 20 if you want to look at that. But here's the neat thing about this. They kind of came to a conclusion on what was required of Gentiles believers and what they would not require of them. But one of the things they were emphatic about when they sent Paul back out to preach and to minister was they say, but remember the poor. And it actually says it three times. Remember the poor. And what is he saying to Paul is, look, Paul, we're not going to get so caught up in these little, these do's and don'ts, whether they should wash here, eat this or not eat this. But make sure you make the central part of your ministry and those who come to know Jesus in serving those in need. That's a key, key part. And they send Paul out to do this. In fact, you may not know this, but Paul went out and he preached the gospel everywhere he went. But do you know what his real mission was? What, like his job they sent him out on? They sent him to collect funds for the widows in Jerusalem. That, that was really his job, to go out and collect for those in need to bring back or to send back. Of course, Paul, everywhere he went, he needed to share about Jesus, and he saw people come to know Jesus as well. He sends them back out, remember the poor. I found this is an interesting quote. Wes Stafford said, the opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite of poverty is enough. And I think that's what God has called us to as the church. He's called us to help people have enough. 
In fact, in God's word, when we say we can pray for our needs and pray for those things that we would desire, they're almost always in the context of those things that are enough for us. And so I think God uses the church in that way constantly. And so we, we should be a church. You should expect that we're in a church that is willing to serve those in need. It's why some of you drive 45 minutes up to Mayaden on those Saturdays, and you serve for those three hours to help people because there's people in need in one of our poorer counties in the state. And so you drive up there and serve. So these are things that you should expect from us community. There's probably many more, but, but reaching those far from God, teaching the full truth, and serving those in need are central importance to us. So, on the flip side, we ask the question, what should the Wendover Hills community expect from you and me? Like, what should each of us do as individuals, and how do we plug in to be a part of this community? Here's the first one. Invest your time and attend. Invest your time and attend. So, being in church, being a part of what God is doing here, like being present physically is central. Now, you know when I say that, I, I never mean like we're going to take attendance at the door every week and, you know, you've got 52 Sundays, we'll let you have two off. You know, after that, we're going to come calling kind of thing. That's never what we mean. You know when something is priority and when it's not on, your, on, on what you're a part of. Invest and attend. So everything you probably sign up for, whether you sign up for your sports league or your, your clubs or whatever, those kind of things, um, you you usually attend when you sign up, right? When, when you go to those things. I remember my dad saying to us, if you're going to sign up to play football, you're finishing the football season. And I learned that the hard way because I went to one practice and decided I did not like football. Um, but I played my freshman year of high school the whole year um, as about a 120-pound, you know, small guy um, on that field because my dad said, you signed up, you're going to go. Um, and this is when I was riding my bike about four miles um, and carrying, you know, like the gear on your back. You kind of strap it on and carry this gear. And I hated that. This is, this is the desert of Moreno Valley, California. But I remember my dad's words. You, you signed up. You're, gonna, you're going. You're finishing it. Now, I hope church is never like that. <laughs> I, like, I hope it's never so grueling for you that you're like, well, you know, Tom said I have to be here. So... But I want you to understand how important it is to invest your time in the community of believers here at Wendover Hills. Here's a passage I want to share with you. You might have never thought about this this way. Peter and and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a lame man from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. Now, I know you probably heard this passage a few times if you've been around the church, and the focus is always on the healing of this beggar, and that, that uh, here, Peter and John, they stopped what they were doing. They took the time, and they brought healing to his life. I want to draw your attention to something else. The first part of this, Peter and John were going to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. Do you understand what that's saying? Like Jesus Christ, they had just walked three years with Jesus Christ. They saw Jesus go to the cross, and, and, and they were part of seeing him raised from the dead. You know, they served him. He ascended to heaven. Like, they were there when the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost. 
I mean, they were part of the group that went out and started speaking other language, these amazing things. Like, they were part of that whole thing. How easy would it have been for them to say, hey, you know, we got Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it, we got the Holy Spirit. It, it's, it's us and the Holy Spirit. And we got some work to go do. We don't really need church anymore. Church isn't really that significant. Prayer meeting? I'm going to go to an extra prayer meeting? I can pray in my house. I can wake up and pray in the morning. That's not that important. But we find that out of their, their discipline, what they're doing, they head at 3 o'clock to the prayer service at the temple. That's where they're going. And they understand the value of that. Paul comes into the towns to preach, and he almost always goes straight to the synagogue. Straight to the synagogue first. Investing our time, our attendance. Investing in the community here at Windover Hills. Here's the second one. Invest your talents and serve. The Bible says this, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which were prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I have long since, and you probably have too if you don't play an instrument or sing, had the desire to be able to sing or to play an instrument, um, to be able to get up here on stage. In fact, there there are even sometimes now when, you know, my voice carries from the shower, uh, you know, to other rooms of the house, um, and I'm later told uh, of some laughter that would go along with that, um, not by me, but by them, because um, it's just not a gift. It's just not there at, at all. Um, now, I wrote a song once, um, like a real legit love song I, I wrote, and I held on to that song for a long, long time, and I, I actually got someone to record that song for me. Not in my voice, but in their voice, because that was good for all of us. Um, my guts would not allow me to let you hear five seconds of that song. Um, way too uh, much of a coward for that. Um, it's just never been there, that gifting and that ability. Does God turn to me and say, well, Tom, you know, I guess I really don't have a spot for you then in the kingdom. I don't really have anything for you. That'd be ludicrous, right? You would immediately say, hey, but Tom, you're, you know, you're pretty good at this and that and this over here. Maybe don't ever do that again, but, but you're good over here. Use those for God's glory. And you know what? I look at you and I say, same thing. Same thing. You were designed in special ways. Like, all right, I'm going to call them out here. They're going to be embarrassed. But like I went down and I've seen Richard and Rodney Lau work at their Bobcat place. I don't get to see them interact with customers and talk to people the way they do there um, because, you know, I see them in this context here. I mean, they're nice guys in this context, right? Yeah? But I went and I, like, I can watch them, like, working it. You know, like, running the company. You know, doing things that, you know, like, I don't see them. I don't have the occasion to see them here. And I'm like, you know, these, these guys are good. I mean, they, these guys, they, they know how to work business. They go talk to customers and line things up and what, whatever goes on with those things. I'm like, this is, this is solid. Um, God can use your gift, your ability in any way. Just because, like, I may not see it out of you here, you may not see it out of here, don't for a second cut yourself off to what God has designed and gifted you to do. You great at relationships? Use them. I mean, are you creative? Uh, use it. Do you, like, sit around and, and you're not great at talking to people, but you're like, you know, but I think about people and I want to just encourage them, so every once in a while I want to send them a note. Do it. However God wants you to do, that using your talents and your gifts to serve. One of the things I love about John Cruikshank is that uh, when he retired, he could have just dialed it in, right? I mean, he's done. He's retired. He worked for Napa forever. 
but he immediately went up to lot 2540. And before they ever paid him a dime, that guy was up there, you know, 30 plus 40 hours a week. Then he hit a health issue, right? And, and you know Johnny, I mean, he wears a patch over his eyes, you know. Um, he, he had some, some issues with his vision and some other issues. And you know what? Doesn't miss, miss a beat. Just keeps pushing and driving because, I mean, that's his gifting and talent to be up there and his passion. And so he just keeps serving. And he's, he can talk. He can have a nice relational talk with you. You love him in five minutes. And you know what? God has used that to open up doors of people donating for their ministry. Use your talents and serve. Somewhere, somehow, serve. And God wants to, to use us for those type of good works. Here's the final thing, and we'll, we'll wrap up today. Invest your treasure and, your, and give. Investing your treasure means, you know, there's, what do we expect in the Wendover Hills community? Well, hey, the way, the way we financially work in our church the way we are able to pay our staff, the way we're able to pay all of our ministries, the way we're able to help people when we give, that's by you and I giving. It's just following God's word and giving. The Bible says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I'm a, I'm a pastor, and it's not like I wake up on Monday morning knowing a message is coming and think, man, I am so energized. I would love to this week preach on, on everybody giving money this week. Um, it's, never, it's never like the most exciting topic for pastors. But the truth is, when we ask this question, what should the Wendover Hills community expect? That we're all going to be committed on the area of investing our treasures and our resources as well to help the church thrive. I was having dinner with uh, a few guys one night, uh, um, guys that I, I respect, Christians, and we got on this topic of the church helping people and serving people. And we got on the topic of money and how, you know, that really uh, they were feeling like it wasn't the government's job to, to hand out money. It was, the, it was the church's job to help people, to feed people, and to care for people. It was a community job. And like, I watched every head like, like this. I even just, just now, I just watched several of you, like, you know, yeah, yeah. Can I tell you what the problem was? Because I went and did the research afterwards. Because I didn't want to think off cuff. I wanted to, I'm going to go really do the research here. The bottom line is, the money's just not there. That somewhere along the line, I say you and I, the church community, somewhere along the line in contemporary church community, not just talking about our church, has decided that giving to the church, following what God's word speaks to us about in, in sharing our resources and the tithe and offering just wasn't of central value anymore. And so we give when we can or when we think we can or when we might have interest. And can I just tell you, sitting at that table, um, my only disagreement with those guys was just simply saying, man, I'd love to. The money's just not there. But in doing that research, here was the great hope. That, do you know that in any church setting, ours included, if every person that called this their home, they're like members, you know, not just like visiting for the day, but everyone that called it their home tithed, there would be such a surplus that we would be looking for things, looking for, for people of need that we could throw money towards. That's how it's always worked. In fact, if you look in the Old Testament, you'll find early on that sometimes the storehouses got that way. 
when everyone brought their tithe to the storehouse, their storehouses were so filled, they weren't quite sure what to do with the extra. So what should the, the Window Hills community expect from you and I? That we would invest our time, our energy into what God is doing here. That we'd invest our talents and we'd serve in areas. Um, and that we'd invest our treasure as well and be able to cover the expenses that comes with God's kingdom here. Why? Here's the final thing. It's our mission here. Why would we do any of this stuff? Why would I, I even bring it up this morning and us talk on this terms? Because we have this mission, and it's to help one more person find their way back to God. That, that's our mission, to help one more person. Like, is there somebody in your life that needs to find their way back to God? You're part of that. We're a part of that with you. I know there's people in my life and I get to see several weekly that I, I mean, I've come to have really amazing, great relationships with. I mean, I love them already. And somewhere along the line, I say, Lord, give me the opportunity to help them find you and be connected with you. But guess what? You're a part of that too. Just because I might be doing the talking to them, you're a part of it. And God has somebody on your heart too. And we're a part of that with you. That's how the community works here. The community has a role. You and I individually have a role. When we play these roles, all six of these we talked about this morning, man, the church thrives. Not just our church, any church thrives. So let me pray with you this morning on this. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that your word's strong and powerful. And Lord, there's often times where reading your word, it doesn't even need a sermon. It's just the challenge of your word and the, and the, 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 the way you speak is power enough. Father, this morning I thank you for the opportunity to just be able to orate and speak this to us as a congregation, that we would all hear this and know this, that we have a mission, that that's what we're about. And Lord, I think about this and I think, you know what, uh, we don't really have, I mean, we're really not about trying to entertain a crowd, though I hope people enjoy it when they come and, and it's a wonderful, wonderful hour and a half or so. We're not really even about, our, our, our end game is really not about just getting people back on track in life, though obviously we want that to happen every week. Our end game, Lord, is to be on a mission that you have designed us for. And it's a mission to help people and introduce people to know you the way we know you. And so, Lord, this week, if there be in any area there, anything that, that we've been saying no to in our heart that would be of benefit to the community in our mission, I just pray this week, Lord, that it would be a yes. There'd be a following of you in this. And Father, would you bring us great testimony of those who were once far from you but now are close, Lord, because of what you've done in our life and how we've honored you, God, in moving forward with our mission. We pray it in your Son's name. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you in that. Now, next week, we're going to kind of blow it out in our final week of, uh, of our 80s series. Pastor Anson talked about the 80s dress, and that'll be a, a good time. Um, I have been a little bitter still about my continual losing in the Christmas sweater competition. Um, so I'm coming strong next week. So Rodney, if you've got something, you better come strong with it, all right? Because I'm going to make it happen. Dong Johnson is going to eat his heart out. So... Um, That'll be uh, next week. Um, but also, we've got, we've got a couple fun little things to go n- next week, and, and uh, it's going to be a good time. Here, here's what we're talking about next week. Um, it sounds like a similar topic, but uh, next week we're going to talk about, like, how does the church fit in with current culture? 
Like, how does this Christian church fit in in our current culture? And we're going to talk through that and, and, and speak about that next week. So kind of a, uh, it'll be a challenging and, and uh, enjoyable, I think, topic to walk through. Something I haven't preached on quite uh, that straight before. So that'll be next week. So sound good? All right. Well, we're going to invite our ushers to come, and they'll take up our tithes and offerings. Again, if you uh, didn't come prepared to give, or if you don't even own a checkbook, please use windoverhills.org, and you can set it up. It's pretty simple to set up an account that way. If you're, if you're new with us, or if we don't uh, have any info on you, we would love to connect at least our weekly email with you. So use that welcome card, if you would, and just Give us your name and as much info as you're willing to give, and we'd love to contact you or at least get you on that email list so you know what's going on. You can drop those in the offering or give those to Pastor Anson afterward. would be great. So we're going to invite our, our praise team to go out singing one more. We are going to tear down in here today um, fully, but our kids' hallway can all stay up this week. So that's a, that's a blessing to us. But one more week of complete tear down here, and then we'll have a few weeks Uh, that we get to leave it up. So if you can help grab a few chairs afterwards, that'd be great. So, praise team, why don't you lead us?